The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Well, hello. It's uh, Friday once again. Welcome to the Disability Law Show. Strap in for the next 30 minutes. You're going to learn a lot. And if you want to reach out, that's always an option. Savan Tamarkin, co-founding partner, Sam Firu Tamarkin, LLP, is here. Again, to reach out, one 821 5900 To reach out to partner Albert Klein, same number, one 821 5900 You are in good hands. Trust me, email works as well, help at disabilityrights.ca. And for other questions, we make it a couple of those on the show. Uh, this evening, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com to ask a question there. Of course, it's free and also uh, anonymous. A little later on, guys, we're going to get to what is the difference between being denied LTD and being cut off LTD and what you should do if it happens to you. But we always start off with a, a case of the day. Uh, who's going to go first, Savan? You? I would love to go first, John. Uh, I have to tell you about something that just uh, came up late last week. So I was coming back from our office in Vancouver, and of course we have offices in Ontario, BC, and Alberta. Um, and we deal with long-term disability claims, personal injury claims, etc. And uh, I got a call as as I was boarding the plane by one of our uh, lawyers, uh, Michael. Uh, Albert and I both know him. And uh, it was an interesting thing. He didn't ask me for any advice. He just wanted to tell me that he just spoke with a lady out of Ottawa. who uh, Albert, I don't think I told you about this one. Um, who, who is apparently on her third LTD appeal. So she's appealing for the third time her long-term disability denial. And guess what? She has a law firm in Ottawa that is apparently helping her with that. So they haven't done what we always suggest, which is to simply go after the insurance company, the legal route, which is the more powerful route than, than uh, you know, of course, appealing, uh, since these appeals are internal processes and they lead generally to nowhere. This law firm for over a year has been apparently quote unquote assisting this lady in appealing this denial and this lady is in fact disabled there's no question about that the insurance company is wrong to have denied her claim what's interesting here is not only are they just stringing her along and helping her appeal and then she gets denied and they help her again and she gets denied but when michael was actually speaking with her uh, you know, he said, look, he says, generally, I don't tell people that they should consider switching law firms. We don't like to do that. If you have a lawyer, that's great. Hopefully that lawyer and law firm are good. Uh, you should stay with them unless there's a very good reason for you to switch. In this case, you know, I, I tend to agree that, you know, this law firm is not really serving that lady's interest by telling her to keep appealing. Not to mention the fact that if they keep doing that for, for too long, they may pass that two-year limitation period for starting that legal claim. So, in fact, she may have no legal recourse if they pass that two-year mark from the date when she was first denied. But here's the kicker. When he told her that, he said, look, but when you switch law firms, it's not uncommon for the current law firm, the law firm that's currently representing you, to issue you a bill for their time because you're leaving them and they've done all this work. And and, and so he's telling her that. And this lady says, oh, no, 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 that doesn't, that's not going to apply to me. And he says, why? He, she, and, and she says to him, well, because I've been paying them all along. I've been paying them hourly. I've been pay- I've paid them over $12,000 at this point. Insane. Wow. Wow. And the reason why for many of our listeners here, you know, who have not heard us talk about this before is because I'm not going to say this is, you know, universally accepted because clearly it's not. But as far as I know, 
any law firm, any lawyer that deals with long-term disability law or personal injury is not going to take your case on unless it's on contingency, at least in Ontario. Now, are there law firms and lawyers that do something different? Yes, obviously, as we can see from this case in Ottawa. But if I feel strongly, if Albert feels strongly, if any of our lawyers feel strongly that you are going to succeed, that you have a right that we can enforce, that we can force the insurance company to pay you what you're owed, we are going to tell you that we're going to put our, our money where our mouth is. We're going to fund the expenses to do this uh, legal claim. We are going to uh, uh, spend the time. We're going to activate our entire team. We're going to put our entire firm's resources to help you get the money that you are owed to enforce your rights against the insurance company. And in this case, for this law firm to have charged this poor lady who has no money coming in for over a year, an hourly rate. So get this, every month she's getting an invoice from the, insur from the, from the law firm. And for what? For bad advice. So again, lesson to the wise here. I mean, you have to be very careful which law firm you use. You have to be very careful which lawyer you use. Not all lawyers are created equal. Certainly not all law firms are created equal. It's just like anything else. There's a good doctor and a not so good doctor. A good dentist, not so good dentist. Engineer, not so good engineer. And so with lawyers, it's very, very similar. You have to make sure you do your research. We are known for, in the industry, across all three provinces where we operate, Ontario, BC, and Alberta, as having a very strong reputation with insurance companies, specifically in the area of long-term disability law. We know these insurance companies. They know us. We know their defense lawyers. They know us. Yeah. And so there is a mutual respect. So I want to make sure people understand this, John, that if you fall into the hands of the wrong lawyer or the wrong law firm, you're going to waste time, you're going to waste money, and you're going to get absolutely nowhere. I mean, thank God she spoke with Michael. Hopefully we'll be able to help. But my God, was I shocked when he told me this. Guys, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. An example right there illustrates why you need to reach out to Savan and Albert anytime you've got some issues, and, and you know, spread that number around. It could possibly be a family member or a colleague too. Albert, what do you got going on, pal? Uh, so, anyone who's spoken to me before knows that I often view LTD cases as what I like to call a power by numbers exercise. And what I mean by that is the more doctors and specialists, generally speaking that you have supporting your claim, the stronger the stronger your claim is going to be. And oftentimes we're seeing LTD applications which are denied because people don't have proof or sometimes these long-term disability policies will actually mandate that people are engaged in what they define as reasonable and customary treatment. Mm -hmm. And so I actually just settled a case where my client was denied benefits. She it's actually astounding that she was given sort of her history. Unfortunately, she had a very large history of trauma and abuse, abuse, both physical, psychological, emotional, and sexual uh, from a lot of loved ones throughout the years. So she had gone through more, more in probably a 20 year period than anyone should ever have to go through. And uh, a, a lot of very, very significant trust issues for obvious reasons. And because of that, she actually found it very difficult to go and speak to someone about her issues, which would make sense, right? Anytime that she was sort of speaking to someone, she felt like she was actually reliving all of her historical and past traumas. Uh, so because of that, she didn't want to speak to any psychologist. She didn't want to speak to any counselors. She did, she did have a family doctor who administered and prescribed some medications, but because of that, she actually refused to go see a counselor. And because of that, the insurance company said, you know what, 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to deny you on the basis of you not actually speaking to a counselor or speaking to a psychologist uh, and refusing to do so. So you're refusing to engage in reasonable and customary treatment. And so initially I saw the denial letter. I spoke with her and I said, well, what, what are you doing for treatment? And she said, look, I'm not really doing anything. And so a lot of lawyers, a lot of lawyers that she spoke to in the past, I think she spoke to two other lawyers, actually just overlooked her claim. And they said, well, I can't help you. If you're not willing to speak to a counselor or a psychologist, there's nothing I can do. And so I asked her sort of a few more questions and finally uncovered that she was actually scared to go speak to psychologists. In any event, fast forward six months, and we actually just settled her case for a very significant uh, amount of money. And I think it's a rare circumstance in that any insurance company realizes that if this were to go before a judge, that they have a lot of a lot of risk because her story is going to resonate with any with any judge, any jury, any judge or jury is going to understand that this person, it's not reasonable for them to have to engage and speak with a counselor on a regular basis and sort of relive their story. And that she was doing everything that she could in her power to try and get better. She was taking medications. She was, uh, she was trying to work on meditation. She was trying to do a lot of things herself, but it was causing more trauma and more harm than good for her to actually go speak with a counselor. So, I mean, every case is a little bit different, but, uh, but it was, it was uh, uh, finally great to get her some, uh, the resolve that she deserved. Lots more coming up, guys. We've got to take a quick break. Get right back at her. It's one 855 821 to reach out by phone and email. Are there Albert Savan member of their team, too? Help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, welcome back. Thanks for hanging in. Short break there. Disability Law Show on your Friday. Just going to educate you a little bit before you head into a weekend to reach out to Savan or Albert. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Want to ask questions? Another way, you can go to my disabilityquestions.com and short, concise, helpful, easy to read memos all about LTD, variety of topics, anything you could possibly be wondering can be found at ltdfaq.ca as well. So you got tons of options. Okay, guys, what is the difference between being denied LTD and being cut off LTD? And what should, uh, what should you do if it happens to you? Point number one, LTD dial is an outright rejection of your right to benefits. Keep that in mind. LTD cutoff is a rejection by the insurer to your right to continue receiving benefits. Break that down for me, guys. Yeah, this is very, very key to understand, John. LTD denial is when you are disabled from working. Maybe you've been on shortened disability. Maybe you've been on EI, uh, sick benefits, and you're applying for long-term disability through your LTD policy through work, or if you have a private policy, you've applied to them and they've denied your claim for any number of reasons. That is a denial, and we help with those all the time. An LTD cutoff is very different. It's when they've already approved you for long-term disability. They've agreed, the insurance company agreed that you cannot work because of your illness or your injury, whatever the issue is. But then at some point in the future, they've decided to cut off your benefits. Again, for any number of reasons. Maybe you think you're better. Maybe they think you can go back to work. Maybe they think you're not getting the treatments you're supposed to be getting. Whatever the reason is, they're two separate things. 
but both of them end with the insurance company not paying you what you are owed. And we work with both of these situations. We help people in both situations get the benefits they are owed by the insurance company. Number two is this, guys. You should immediately contact us if you're denied LTD or if you are told that your benefits will be cut off. Do not wait for your benefits to be cut off. Albert. Absolutely. I, I can't agree more. I mean, there's a lot of work that can be done. And so if you end up waiting for your benefits to, cut, to be cut off, which many people do, there's many months where we could have actually been liaising with the insurance company. I've, there's, there's been times where I've actually spoken with an insurance company and gotten them to reverse their decision before the insurance company actually was supposed to cut that person off. So to, to give a more concrete example, uh, let's say the insurance company says they're going to cut you off in four or five months. If you tell us right away, we can actually start speaking with that insurance company right now as opposed to in four or five months. So definitely you should contact us right away. Number three, Savannah, I'm going to throw this one towards you. Difference between being denied LTD, being cut off LTD. You should not appeal a denial or benefits or a cutoff of benefits. Speak with us first so we can explain all your options to you for free. This is absolutely crucial to understand. If you appeal a denial of benefits or if the insurance company cuts you off benefits or tells you they're going to cut you off, and then you know at the end of that letter, of course, they say, well, you can appeal that decision. Many people think that's some kind of an objective process. Somehow you can appeal this and have somebody objectively look at everything and maybe find it in your uh, favor. The reality is many of these appeals go absolutely nowhere. They're a complete waste of time. They're a way for the insurance company to just draw out the process, make you frustrated, and walk away from your rights. There are much better options. In fact, there is one particular option that is extremely powerful, and that's using the legal system to force insurance companies to pay you. But the thing is that no, no two cases are the same. And so what we tell people, John, is give us a call, contact us. If it's not me, it's Albert. If it's not Albert, it's somebody else on our team. We'll be able to help you, at least give you a menu of options so that you can decide for yourself or with your family what you're comfortable with. And if at the end you still want to appeal, you know, God bless you. Go ahead and do it. We're not going to judge you. But at least you'll know what your options are and you'll be uh, um, knowledgeable as to your rights so you'll understand exactly what you can and cannot do and, and really where the pressure points are with the insurance company. Number four, guys, you should, should immediately go to your doctor and get a letter explaining why you are disabled from working. You need that medical backing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so under these policies, you have to prove that you are continuously disabled. And so just because you proved six months ago or you got a letter from your doctor six months ago saying that you were disabled doesn't necessarily mean that you're disabled today. And so you know, probably your doctor knows, but the insurance company might not know. And so definitely it's all about getting the support of your different treatment providers. I think you should go to not only your family doctor, but if you have specialists that are seeing you, get a letter from them as well explaining why you're disabled from working. And finally, guys, you should continue with all your prescribed treatments. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, for many people, John, this seems to be just common sense. But believe it or not, it's not for everyone. Some people think that the only reason to get these treatments that you're supposed to get for your illness or your injury is to make sure the insurance company doesn't cut you off. Look, we're lawyers. We'll talk to you about the legalities. But the reality is you want to get better. 
We want people to feel better. We want people to not be on long-term disability for them to try and get back to work. I mean, everyone should want to get better, right? You don't want to just basically sit at home, uh, commiserate, and just uh, focus on your injuries and your or, or your illness. So continue with your treatments from a legal standpoint. If you don't, if you don't do the prescribed treatments, if you don't follow whatever your doctors are saying, the insurance company will use that against you 100%. There is a duty to mitigate. There is a duty on you to try and get better. And if you don't, you could be in breach of the LTD policy, which could give your insurance company more ammunition to uphold their denial of your benefits. So continue your treatments. Guys, let's get into some uh, emails. We uh, still got a few more minutes of the show to go. We're going to get into Jabber. Jabber says, hey, guys, when is enough enough? My wife has been bullied by her claims adjuster at her long-term disability insurer repeatedly. She is disrespectful and very aggressive whenever she speaks with us. My wife is not well. She's 53 and worked for 25 years for the same employer as a manager. And then when she became ill, she was approved for short-term disability, then long-term. We're getting close to two years, and this adjuster says that my wife will be cut off then. She suffers from severe depression and bipolar disorder. Her doctors are adamant that she's not well to do any work, and we don't know what to do. Th- thanks, John. Jabber, uh, I mean, ov- ov- obviously enough is enough. Uh, what I usually recommend to my clients, and I'm very sorry to hear that your wife has been, being bu- has been bullied by her claims adjuster, is generally speaking, try and get everything in writing. And from here on in, uh, you want to make sure that you have documented as much of this abuse as possible. And uh, you, can, you can document that it's been difficult to actually uh, speak with the claims adjuster. Uh, some, sometimes in, in these situations, we'll actually step in and we'll write to the claims adjuster and, and we'll say, just simply liaise with us. Uh, especially the, the adjuster is advised that you're already going to be cut off. So this is what's called an anticipatory breach. And we can actually start doing a lot of the work now to hopefully get your wife uh, to a place where she's either not going to be cut off or to a place where uh, she no longer has to deal with the insurance company and the insurance company pays her a significant lump sum uh, on the basis that she's going to be continuously unable to work in the future. And as long as her doctors are supportive of the fact that she's not able to do any work, which it sounds like she is, obviously she suffers from both severe depression and bipolar disorder, then definitely we can help out. So I think you should give us a call. Your wife definitely doesn't need to be dealing with the adjuster anymore. Um, it's, it's, off, it's often the case that these types of situations are actually exacerbating someone's condition. And uh, I think it's important as well that we document that. So I think your wife should be going to speak speak to her different treatment providers and speak about the impact that she's had in dealing with this particular claims adjuster. And there are a number of different cases out there in the past where courts and judges have actually given compensation to people where insurance companies have acted unruly. And we've referenced this case which, uh, which the decision just came out about a couple months ago where a jury awarded million on the basis that the insurance company acted in a very underhanded way. Savannah, anything to add here? No, I agree with you. It makes me very upset when I hear about people who are dealing with adjusters at insurance companies, and these adjusters, some of them just act in a completely unprofessional way. 
they are bullies. Some, some of them, uh, some of them are very aggressive. And look, it's not all adjusters. I know some of these adjusters. Some of these adjusters, the good adjusters, are good people. They're actually trying to do their job. They're trying to do, uh, you know, their, their their job as best as they can, and, and you know, deal with individuals in a respectful manner. But some other ones are on a power trip. That's completely unacceptable. And one of the things to understand is that when we get involved in any case like this, when we are officially retained, we are now the lawyers for the person who is dealing with this insurance company. The insurance company, the adjuster is no longer allowed to contact the claimant directly. They must go through us. And John, it gives me a lot of pleasure to apply 10 times the amount of pressure back on the adjuster, on the insurance company. So we don't take that kind of stuff lightly. Uh, we make sure that we go after the insurance company for this kind of conduct. Insurance companies have a fiduciary duty, a duty of good faith to deal with their claimants, to deal with their insureds uh, in, in a way that is proper, respectful, and, and generally in, in you know good faith. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And judges have agreed with that uh, in the past. We have a lot of cases out there across the country where judges have said insurance companies do have that duty to insureds. And so you need to understand, Jabber, that we, we can help here, certainly agree with everything that, uh, that Albert said. And it's just unfortunate, unfortunate that your wife has had this terrible experience. It doesn't happen always, but when it does, we'd like to step in there so we can stop that bullying behavior and, and apply pressure back on the insurance company. Jabber, appreciate the uh, the reach out. And here is the number to follow up, one 821 5900 Guys, let's move down to Abe says, hi guys, my son was hit by a car when he was crossing the road on a sidewalk and he broke his right arm and hit his head on the pavement. The doctors say that he suffered a mild traumatic brain injury. The guy that hit him got a ticket, but then he fought it in court and because of a technicality, he and the ticket were expunged. Does that mean that my son can't get any compensation now? A year later and my son still needs my help with things around the house and the doctors say that his brain injury is permanent. What a terrible situation, Abe. I'm so sorry for what your son has gone through. To answer your question, no, absolutely not. The fact that this person's ticket was expunged or somehow on a technicality he was able to get away with it doesn't mean anything from a civil context standpoint. Right. What that means is that if, in fact, that car was at fault, civilly, civilly, and this is a different test, right? I mean, there are different rules when we're dealing with quasi-criminal tickets, um, when we're dealing with traffic tickets, those are that's a very, very different system than the civil system. Uh, 100% your son is going to be entitled to compensation. First of all, through accident benefits, and those are benefits to compensate him for any income he cannot earn at this point, up to a certain amount. Usually it's $400 a week. Uh, and, and that's something he gets from the other driver's insurance company, unless he has his own automobile insurance, uh, as well as medical rehabilitation expenses. I mean, in this case, he's going to be entitled to up to $65,000 worth of those kinds of benefits. In addition to that, Abe, your son is probably going to be entitled to certain benefits for pain and suffering and other types of categories of damages from the other driver who hit him. Now, of course, we're going to have to deal with all the facts here. There's a lot more to unpack. I'd love to speak with you, with your son, to explain everything, to understand exactly what happened, and to provide your family with options on going forward. Don't wait. Don't wait too long, because if you wait too long, some of the deadlines that are set in stone by the legal system may pass. So remember, for example, that you have two years from the date of the accident to start a legal claim against the other driver. There are certain timelines for starting the accident benefits claim, etc. So it's really important to understand that this is a very big claim 
Abe, on behalf of your son, and we have the experience and the, ex and the expertise, really, to, to help your son, to help your whole family navigate it. Guys, appreciate that. Abe, thank you so much. Again, here's the contact information on the whole if you want to reach out to either Albert or Savannah, their respective teams as well. The number, I keep giving it out, one 821 5900 that email address, help at disabilityrights.ca, and another form to ask questions freely and anonymously by mydisabilityquestions.com. And then finally, quick, concise memos on LTD. Lots of information. I always give it out every show. LTDFAQ. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. Enjoy your weekend. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.